Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Welcome to Garden Church Podcast. We are in a series called Courageous Orthodoxy, Convictions for Resilient Faith. And for us at this time, we are looking at the foundations of Christian belief. We are trying to encourage you as followers of Jesus to live out of a robust theology. We're hoping that you would be encouraged by this and that you will ground your faith in the Word of God and you will live a vibrant life in the way of Jesus. Hope this empowers you and encourages you in your faith. Go ahead and grab a seat. We'll continue our gathering this morning or this afternoon. What's up, church? How are we doing? Quiet, mellow, so much caffeine. It's Good Friday, and we want to just create some space to reflect on the cross. Last Sunday, we talked a lot about the cross and the implications. Thank you. And uh, this this evening, we just wanted to, um, first of all, have our very first Good Friday service. So yeah, we've been uh, we've been a church for f- fourteen years, and we have yet to have a space where we could do a Good Friday service. So it's really exciting. So if you have a Bible, go to Mark chapter um, fifteen. Mark fifteen. And if you don't have a Bible, you can download something on your iPhone, or there's some Bibles in the back. We'd love to get you. A Bible, if you don't have one, our ushers will hand you one. You can raise your hand and we'll get you one. 
Mark 15, I'm gonna share a story that hit me a few years ago uh, on Good Friday, reflecting on this time. Uh, This story in Mark is just this really odd story found in Mark 15. You see, Mark's gospel is a unique gospel. Um, It's fast-paced. It's a quick book. It's 16 chapters. And the author is a guy named John Mark, and he is writing this book from firsthand experience, um, kind of narrated by Peter, the apostle. So Peter's writing this story so you know who Jesus is, what his ministry was, what he came to do. Um, but Mark is written to a Roman audience, which is very specific, so it's action-packed. It would be like an action film, very quick cuts. If you're watching the film, it's like shot, shot, shot. You don't want to hold on too long. Um, And it's 10 chapters dedicated to the life and ministry of Jesus and six chapters dedicated to the last week of Jesus. So 10 moves very fast, and then we get to the last week of Jesus, and everything slows down. Chapter 11, Jesus enters into Jerusalem and things begin to slow down and there's all sorts of details about the last week of Jesus' life. Now, the reason for this has to do with Roman culture. And I'm gonna speak a little bit about culture and history and context for this story in, in particular. But in Roman antiquity, the way a hero dies reveals more about the way a hero lived. So in Roman antiquity, if a general or, or Caesar lived a particular life, they would spend so much time nailing down the details of his final moments. And so when Mark writes this, he wants you to know 10 chapters, life, ministry, and then he really wants you to know about the cross and what was leading up to this moment for Jesus. So um, Mark chapter 15, if you have a Bible, let's read this story together. We'll read a few verses. It says this, um, Verse one, very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plan. So they bound Jesus, led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus simply made no reply. Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Okay, pause right there. Story We've been following along up in Mark's gospel and all of a sudden Mark introduces two new characters. Pilate, who represents Rome. He's a governor of Rome. He uh, represents the, the, the Caesar in Israel. He has the power of Caesar for Israel and the, the ancient Palestine. And then there's Barabbas, who uh, we will talk about in just a moment. So two new storylines that come in. And what you have to know, and this is what you don't get when you just gloss over the New Testament, is the history behind it. Pilate's sole responsibility was to keep the peace in Israel. His whole purpose was to function as this leader on behalf of, uh, of Rome to keep the peace in Israel. Israel, it uniquely, had a history of insurrections. Every foreign power that conquered ancient Palestine would experience at some point Israel rebelling, rioting, 
fighting against the conquering um, or occupying territory or leaders of the time. So Israel had a history of creating riots um, against the foreign empires. It was the Egyptians, and then it was the Persians, and then it was the Greeks and the Seleucids, it was the Syrians, uh, and then eventually it was the Romans, 60 years before Jesus was born. And the Israelites would revolt and fight against foreign powers. Now, one particular story you need to know about, uh, because this pertains to Jesus. In 160 BC, are you guys with me real quick? I know this is a little history. I promise we're gonna land. It's gonna be great, trust me. It's gonna be great. 160 BC, a guy named Judas Maccabee led a three-year military campaign against the Syrians. And it ended, the three-year military campaign ended as he came in on a war horse into Jerusalem, which was a stronghold, the capital of Israel at the time. He, he cleansed the temple. At the time, the Syrians dedicated the uh, temple of Yahweh to Zeus, and there were all sorts of idols inside. So he goes in, and he cleanses the temple of all the false idols, and the people parade their, their military victory as Judas walks around Israel, or Jerusalem in particular, and they, they wave palm branches, and they sing hymns, hoping that this, in fact, would be the day that the Lord would usher in the new age the age to come, the day of the Lord, but Judas Maccabee died. He, like all the other Messiah figures, we have historical records of loads of Messiah figures that would revolt against the occupying forces and usher in, the last thing they would do every single time is go into the temple and cleanse it of idols and they would hope that God would bring about the things he promised in the Old Testament. If you've been in our church, we talked about it a few weeks ago in regards to the age to come, that uh, God promised an era, a moment when he would bring about uh, a revolution of sorts where there'd be new hearts and new minds and God would bring his law and put it on everyone's hearts. There'd be the resurrection of the dead and the Holy Spirit would come. There'd be justice and peace for all of the world. And this is part of their theology. The reason I give you this history is simply to say for years before the time of Jesus, Messiah figures would come and they would all end up dead. Just like Jesus. Dead, defeated by some military superpower, but it is the only, Jesus is the only person in history where the followers of this Messiah who was killed begin to say a few days later, he's been raised from the dead. It wasn't part of their view. They, they, had, no, they had no expectation of that. They expected everyone to rise from the dead. They didn't expect one person in history to rise from the dead and that person be the son of God, to be the Messiah, to be the savior of the world, the one true king. Only after the fact, when they have the Holy Spirit and the scriptures are open into their minds, they realize this is what was promised in the Old Testament. Now, the reason I say all this is because it pertains to Pilate and Barabbas. The reason Barabbas is in jail is because they have a history of insurrections. Pilate's task was to keep the peace. Barabbas is this character that's included in the story of Mark for whatever reason, um, right in the middle of this great narrative. So you have the Pilate, the king, or the, the governor, sorry, of Rome, and you have Barabbas, a terrorist of Rome, a murderer shackled and imprisoned, waiting to be executed. And it was a custom in that time, the festival is the Passover festival, where the governor would, would kind of do a release valve, if you will. He'll just turn the knob, release the pressure in the Middle East by letting one prisoner whom the, the, the people loved to go free. And in this moment, Pilate has an idea, Jesus or Barabbas. 
Jesus, remember, we've read the story of Jesus. He's the teacher that says, forgive sins, turn the other cheek, forgive 70 times seven, go the extra mile. He's healing, he's teaching, he's, he's ushering peace. Or Barabbas, a murderer, a terrorist, shackled. He, he was caught killing someone. Which one do you want? And the crowd shouts, Verse nine, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, Jesus, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had, had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with this one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked, crucify him. Just a few chapters earlier, they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now the crowds yell, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So we have the two figures, Pilate and Barabbas, new characters, Pilate and Barabbas, Barabbas standing next to Jesus, and Barabbas is released. And here's the thing, here's the question I have. As a student of theology, I have wondered for a while, why on earth would this particular detail be included in the story of Mark? He doesn't leave a lot of room for extra stories. 10 chapters for three and a half years, six chapters for the last week. Why are all these details about Barabbas and this dialogue with Pilate included? It takes up a large chunk of this last chapter, second to last chapter. Why? Well, you could say, well, it's history. This actually happened. Yeah, that could absolutely be the case. It's probably what happened. But why include this particular story in the narrative as, as the story's moving towards the cross? There's this, like, there's this weird story of Pilate questioning Jesus and Barabbas being set free. And, and then I realized Mark puts this narrative in, there, in here on purpose. This is not some random story about some terrorist being free. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story. The person deserving his punishment for his crimes is the one who gets off the hook. The one who deserves the cross. The one who deserves the consequences for his action is the one that walks away. Mark includes this story, this random character in this grand narrative, narrative because he wants you as a reader to think, where do I fit in in the story? Am I Peter? You know, a, a solid disciple until the end that, and then a later, you know, I'll just deny him, but then I'll get forgiven. Am I John the beloved? Yeah, I'm his, I'm his favorite, Right? Am I Thomas? Do I doubt? Am I Judas, the betrayer? Wow. Well, I got my answer, dang. No, Mark wants you to know you're Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. And I think the story here um, is, is designed to be seen. So I want to I help you with the props. You need, to, you need to hear and see this story. 
I'm Barabbas. I deserve the punishment. You're Barabbas. You deserve God's wrath because of your rebellious ways your sinful behavior, your unjust behavior, your heart that's been calloused over justice. You deserve justice and justice is getting what you deserve. But Jesus, the innocent, the justified, the son of God, the one true king, Messiah, the savior of the world, he takes our place. Barabbas is the human reminder of the gospel. We need to see this story in all of the details. We need to see the face of Barabbas. We need to hear the sound of the shackles around Barabbas as they take his shackles off and hand them to Jesus. They need to see, he needs to see you need to see the look of Barabbas' face. You need to hear the shock, the gasp of the disciples, of the crowd as the murderer is set free. And as Jesus stands there, takes those handcuffs, those shackles. You see, Jesus he takes the place of a murderer takes the place of a terrorist, a thug, an insurrectionist. His chains come off and Jesus is chained. Barabbas walks away and Jesus gets flogged, beaten. Barabbas goes home and Jesus takes the cross. And this is the good news. This is the gospel, right? Mark chapter 15, this little guy who appears out of nowhere, Barabbas, the insurrectionist, right in the middle of it, Mark wants you to know this is, this is your story. You're not Peter, you're not John, you're Barabbas. And this is, the, this is what Good Friday is all about. Jesus takes away our luggage. He takes away our, our, uh, our shackles. He cuts our chains. He uh, frees us from our sin. He takes our punishment. He takes the verdict guilty as charged and he takes it instead of us. And this is what I want you to think about for a moment on Good Friday as as we head to Easter because it's so easy in our culture. We want to get to Easter so fast, don't we? I love Easter. Yes, we win. You're raised from the dead. Yes. But it's a slow six chapter journey, 10 chapters of life, and it's six chapters slowly walking you through what Jesus has to walk through so you know without a doubt this story is his story. Imagine you today. Guilty as charged. I don't know how to explain it. Like, I don't know what you would do in this situation. Like, for me, I was trying to process this with my wife. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, trying to to imagine myself chained, knowing what I've done, and then Jesus taking it, I would probably be like, no, 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 Jesus, this is mine. Am I right? Like I, I just, it's, or, or, or maybe, maybe it's a little too much of a figment of your imagination to imagine Jesus. Would you just think of the, the person in your life who loves you the most? 
person that in your life that loves you the most? Yeah, maybe your spouse, maybe your parent, maybe someone in your life. And now, now imagine you're in jail and there's no way out. And then that person then goes, you know what, I'm going to take your place. And, and for the rest of their life, they take your place in that jail. I mean, this is what we're talking about, isn't it? Isn't this what we're talking about? We're talking about what we, we get, what we deserve. And yet Jesus says, no, 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 hand that over to me. I got this. I got this. And you're like, you're fighting on this side. No, 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 I want it back. I want it back. He's like, no, 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 I got this. I got, this is mine. And there you are. You're like, no, 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 but it's my lust. Like, it's my pride. It's my envy. It's my fear. It's all the things. And he's like, no, 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 Darren, you don't see, you got to let it go. You got to let it go. You got to let it go. All your fear, yeah, I got that. All your insecurity, yeah, I got that. All of the lies, all of the deceit, the past thing that you won't tell anyone about that haunts you every time you come to church because you feel so unworthy. Yeah, I got that too. And you have to see this, that Jesus takes it and he says, go, be free, live. Live without the fear, live without the insecurity, live without the pride, live without the guilt, live without the shame, live without the luggage, live without all of that stuff and be free and go. This is what we call Good Friday. It's that there's no possible way you can make it work out for yourself. There's no diet or exercise. There's no car that's gonna fill that void. There's no house or vacation or relationship. There's no right philosophy. There's no spiritual ladder to climb. There's no spiritual checklist. It's Jesus nailed to the cross for your sake. The ultimate picture of what Jesus comes to do is found in the story of Barabbas, of all things. Barabbas. And Jesus, he wants to take that from you. So that's what we must imagine tonight as we head to Easter, as we remember what Jesus does on the cross. We have to remember that it's, it's Jesus, the willing Jesus, the loving Jesus, the, the God of grace taking your place so that you can be healed, you can be free, you can be alive forever. So Barabbas takes off his shackles and he goes home and he lives. And the question is, what are you gonna do with your freedom? What are you gonna do with your freedom? If you had a loved one take your place in that jail, I'm pretty sure you would live free, wouldn't you? Some of us tonight, we're like, yeah, I'm free. No, I'm totally free. Yeah, I'm good. Let's go. Let's go. No, we're good. I got this. We're totally good. I just, I just want you to see what I see in the room. You're like, no, I'm good, guys. I'm totally, this is great. Yeah, hey, we're going to worship. Oh, hail King Jesus. Am I right? If I had bolt cutters and it wasn't like a liability, I would just say, everyone come cut a bolt, but I'm sure someone would do it wrong. Fingers would fly. 
Romans chapter three says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter five says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this way that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John chapter three sixteen says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then Ephesians chapter two says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. In other words, the story of Barabbas is the story of this. Deserving death, he died for us. Deserving, uh, fallen short, yep, he took care of it. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And the way into life is nothing you can do except say thank you. That's it. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace. So that's what I have for you tonight. I have the gospel in a nutshell, it's Barabbas. And if that's not enough, okay, let me just say one more thing because I I just think it's hilarious the way it's tied in. So Barabbas, the name, is the Hellenized version of an Aramaic name, which is Bar-Abba, which Barabbas literally is translated the son of the father. Jesus came for the children of God. So, You've been set free. You uh, come to the cross tonight in reflection of all that is grace. And we have a, a, a task to take up tonight. So in just a few moments, our, our ushers are gonna bring this cross and that cross on the floor. And um, we have hammers and nails. And you have on your seats, uh, just like a three by five card. I took like 17 of them. And um, what I want you to do, you'll know why in a second, is I want you to just think about the things that put in your life that put Jesus on the cross. It's a time of confessing. I just want you to write down your sins. So if you're like me and you prepared in advance because I knew it was coming, I had an Excel spreadsheet that I'm gonna put on there. You think I'm joking. I want you to take a few moments as we worship again to just write down confession. Lord, what do you need to confess tonight? Just allow, allow Jesus to, to bubble up in your heart your sins, your brokenness, your fears, your failures, not as a way of punishment, but as a way of reminder. And then when you're ready, whenever you're ready, during worship, you can come up front or there's two in the back. You can take that card and you can hammer it into the cross. In Colossians chapter two, would you go there? Um, I think we have it in Colossians two. I, I, I preached on this um, Sunday. It says this, it says, having been buried with him in baptism in which we were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. So tonight, it just invite you to, for an act of worship to, why don't you confess your sins, write down anything that is, needs to be reminded of being nailed to the cross. One, one little comment on this. Oftentimes, the accuser comes at us. And our mechanism of defense is not, try to, not trying to justify our behavior. yes. He'll, he'll, he'll bubble up sin in our life and make us feel like we're not enough, like this is actually who we are. And one, this act is such a beautiful act of reminding the enemy that the charge has been nailed. It's been done. 
And so tonight, I just want to invite you to process this, to in, in come remembering the cost, remembering the sacrifice, and let's do this together as our act of worship. Can I pray? And then we will, we will uh, we'll hammer away. Father, I want to ask that you would allow us to hear the sounds tonight of shackles coming off, of nails being hammered as part of our act of worship. I pray, Lord, that you would center into our souls the story of grace in Barabbas, that we would be set free, that our eyes would see the grace you've given us, that our hearts would experience the lavish love that you pour out. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Lord, for taking our place. And I pray in Jesus' name as we head into Saturday, as we sit bewildered in your death, we go with expectation of your resurrection in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We are Garden Church. To find out more about our community and to find resources to help you in your spiritual journey, visit garden.church. Spirit